You're listening to Flaunt, Find Your Sparkle and Create a Life You Love After Infidelity or Betrayal. Have you been betrayed by life, your body, or someone that you love? You're not alone. No matter what you've been through, Naked Self-Worth helps you regain confidence, joy, and enthusiasm so you can create a life you love and flourish. Tune in weekly and learn how. Hello and welcome to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity and betrayal. I know not only from being a survivor of infidelity myself, but also from working with other women who have been betrayed. One of the things that comes up so often in our minds is why me? And why, when I know these things, can I see my way out of them? And why didn't my partner, why am I the only one who really feels like I have it all together? And why am I the one burdened with other people's immaturity or trauma or problems? Today's guest is Dr. Lindsay Gibson, and she has written several books that have been really profound for me. One of them is called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. And in that book, she answers a very similar question. Her question is, why do so many psychotherapy clients seem so much more together and self-aware than their family members? And then why is it that those people who have it all together are the ones out there seeking therapy, seeking help, when maybe they aren't the ones who need it? With that, I really want to welcome Dr. Lindsay Gibson to the show so we can explore that a little bit further. Who are we? What is the impact that other people have on us? And where is that line between owning ourselves and helping others own themselves? So with that, welcome to the show, Lindsay. Oh, thank you so much, Laura. It's so good to be here. There's so much to unpack with this. And I would like to start by actually having you share a little bit about your background and your experience. Sure. Um, I've been a clinical psychologist in one form or another for over 35 years. Um, My professional life has been with adult individual psychotherapy. And I've also done a lot of psychological testing over my career. So part of how I was trained in psychological testing was not only to identify a person's um, symptoms and problems, but also to try to pinpoint their developmental level. That is uh, to write the report Um, in light of where I saw them psychologically in terms of their development. And that was very helpful to therapists because if I said to somebody who had referred a patient for testing, 
you know, this person is um, looking like a normal 25 year old, but they're really emotionally functioning as an eight year old or a four year old. That was very helpful to them. Um, and that's, I can tell that from psychological testing because a lot of the answers are normed on different ages. Um, so a lot of six-year-olds give this kind of response and this quality of response. And so I was trained to think that way from the very beginning. So when I got into more intensive uh, individual psychotherapy, I carried that perspective with me. And I would listen to my clients talk about the behavior of the people in their lives that were causing them problems. And I'm thinking, oh man, that's like a four-year-old, or, you know, that that's a tantrum. That's, a, yeah. <laughs> you didn't get angry. That's a two-year-old. Um, so I began to um, talk with them about developmental levels and kind of what to expect and what you could predict from, from that kind of, um, well, assessment. Yeah. And it was very helpful to them to, you know, to think of this person in developmental terms, not just as an adult who's, you know, losing their cool, but that they're really reacting like a, like a young child. So as things went on um, in my career, I began to um, really get this sense that the people that were coming to see me were much healthier than a lot of the people in their lives. Yeah. So it created this paradox of the, 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 people, the people most emotional maturity were in my office getting a diagnosis for insurance of you know anxiety, depression, relationship problems, adjustment disorders. And the people that were driving them crazy were running around wild um, and had no thought of going to a therapist. That's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, so that's that's uh, how I got into it, Laura. Um, that's how it became sort of the the intellectual passion of my life uh, to figure this out and to sort of answer that question of you know why are those people coming for treatment and these other people are you know, not looking for help at all. Mm -hmm. That was a real conundrum. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm just going to pause for a second here. We can take this out. Um, I was getting a little bit of feedback and now I don't hear oh. it. But when I was here, when I was speaking before, um, when I said, mm -hmm, I heard it reflected back from you. And I didn't know if you were hearing anything wonky. Nope, not on my end. Okay, perfect. Uh, and now it doesn't seem to be, well, Every time I start to talk, it just gives a little feedback. I heard, heard a little bit just then. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to turn this volume down, see if that does it, but I'm not quite sure. Okay. Okay. All right. We'll go ahead and just see what happens. What I like about what you said in terms of developmental levels is if we look at a child, we can understand a two-year-old is not capable of such and such. You know, a five-year-old cannot do that. This is developmentally appropriate for that age. And when we look at it in terms of adults, I find it to be an interesting shift because it takes some of the judgment out of it. It's more of the acceptance of this might be the level of maturity that they are at. 
And it's not necessarily that they are a good person or a bad person. It's just where they are at. And I think that might be relevant and helpful for people dealing with emotionally immature people just to have that cognitive awareness. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up because um, when you don't have a developmental perspective for people's behavior, it's really easy to get judgy about them and also to feel like, well, they could do better if they wanted to, that, that this behavior is somehow a choice or um, along the same lines, this behavior is a manipulation. They're conscious of what they're doing and it's deliberate and they could do otherwise, but they're not. And of course, that's what we think of when we see an adult. We think of them as being self-determining and um, able to make those kinds of uh, choices and, and decisions about their behavior. But when we look at a three or a four-year-old, um, we say, you know, oh, they're, you know, they're just uh, at the end of their rope. They're just tuckered out. They're tired. They need a nap. Um, or it's, you know, we, we realize that it's hard being three years old. Um, we realize that they get fatigued very easily and that they don't have the words or the coping. And so we tend to think of it in terms of some need is not being met. You know, they're sleepy, they're hungry, you know, something's the matter and we need to figure that out or we need to get them home or we need to take them out of the stimulating environment. Um, we think about it like that, but with immature adults, we tend to place the blame on the person, not that they're having a hard time, but that they're choosing to behave badly. Yeah. And, and I see there's a bit of a double-edged sword there because while their immaturity is calling the, causing the problem, while maybe they're not to blame because that's the level that they're at, the impact on us can still be harmful. How do we healthily recognize somebody else's maturity level and at the same time protect ourselves so we're not constantly the one saying, oh, well, that's okay, I'll manage it. I'll take care of it. I see something that you don't. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a babysitting job right there, or that's a parenting role. Um, and when you, in a relationship, end up stepping in to function for that person in one way or another, like you step in to calm them down or soothe them or comfort them because they're having trouble doing it themselves, that's a sign of emotional immaturity. Now, I mean, who doesn't get upset, right? right. I mean, we all have our moments um, and we all have times when we're not our best selves, especially if we're sick or injured. Um, you know, we all regress. We all become more immature in our, our approach, become more egocentric, that kind of thing. But yeah, if you're, if you're actually functioning for that other person in the relationship, running interference for them, anticipating what's going to uh, make them angry uh, so it doesn't go there, uh, not telling them things because you know what it's like when they get upset. When you're starting to function as a buffer for their personality, that is one of the 
the tip-offs to the, their emotional immaturity. Another one is the way that they respond to your boundaries. Um, the, the healthy emotional response to someone offering a boundary is, should be curiosity. Like, oh, really? Why? Or, hmm. um, uh, oh, I, I don't understand. Can, can you tell me why you don't want to do that or you know, whatever? But it's curiosity. Um, it doesn't act like there's something wrong with you or that you're, you just said the wrong thing. It's, oh, tell me more about you. Um, this is important to you. What's it about? That kind of thing. Of course, there are times when, you know, you setting a boundary is simple and it's just no. Right. <laughs> no explanation. You just have a preference. But what you want to um, be aware of is, you know, do they show uh, curiosity and respect? That is, do they communicate that I'm going to accept whatever you say, but I'm just interested in that. I want to know more about you. Um, because the emotionally immature person will more often than not, uh, at the very beginning, now everybody can do the Gumby stretch and appear more mature than they really are. Okay. Right. But as time goes on, uh, they will start to challenge your boundaries pretty soon. Like they'll say, well, why don't you want to do that? Or, I can't understand that. How about if we, you know, and then they try to find a, an end run around your boundary. Um, they might say, well, that doesn't make any sense. We could do, and then they have an alternate plan. They don't accept what you're saying. So that's, you know, that's another tip off to uh, the emotional immaturity. They're trying to get you to be a satellite to them. Hmm. Uh, and it's very, uh, it, it's very easy to pick up on if, if you know what you're looking for. Yes. And I think that is one of the keys. Many people I, realize or recognize when somebody is emotionally immature. And I'm curious since this show, you know, is geared towards women who have been betrayed oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes in my experience, there is some immaturity on the part of the betrayer. And then we also get into all of these childhood type issues. My mother was like this. My father was like that. And it becomes a comfortable pattern to deal with somebody who is emotionally mature. I know how to deal with an emotionally immature person because my mother or father was emotionally immature. So then when my partner is doing it to me, it feels familiar and I don't necessarily recognize him or her as being emotionally immature. Right. Yeah. And, you know, when people will come to see me for, for therapy, Laura, um, the issue of emotional immaturity, uh, you know, a few years ago wouldn't would never be coming up because it wasn't a term that people used. Um, now the people that call me are using it quite freely because they've read the books and <laughs> you know they say I'm you know my parents were emotionally immature. So now it's become part of the vocabulary. But before um, people would have to really literally learn that their parents or their important people in their life were emotionally immature because 
they really didn't know the concept. And it was a strange concept because their parents were functional adults. They were uh, maybe adults who were doing well um, in their lives. And then I'm coming along and saying that's uh, immature behavior. So it, it was it was an important development in uh, in therapy there for a while with me to start explaining to them what I was seeing in developmental terms. You know, I would I would say to them, um, you know, your your dad is your dad's acting like a five year old over this, um, or you know, the the boyfriend is you know like that's something that a fifteen year old would do. Um, you know, kind of introducing that comparison. And for me, it was very helpful because it, it helped me to quickly get a sense of how that person dealt with their emotions and hence their uh, you know, maturity level. But it's a, um, it's a concept that people really take to once they get the idea of it. And then also because it predicts a lot of other behaviors. If you know a handful of the central behaviors, you can predict a lot of other things about that person. Yeah. And so that was very, very helpful to people. But even so, um, you learn all of the interactional moves and the style back in early childhood. And that's that early interpersonal learning is what often translates to our attraction or that sense of familiarity we have about people that we're dating. Yeah. Yeah. And so it takes a while for that to be understood um, to begin to make some changes in what kind of behavior feels comfortable and familiar and then what kind of behavior new behavior is something that you can tolerate because lots of times people have trouble tolerating being treated well yeah because for them intimacy means you know haha we're joking on each other or we're pushing against your boundaries or <clears throat> we're you know making comments or ridiculing you or we're teasing you because this is what people who are close to each other do we think because if we grew up in a family with emotionally immature leaders, we never got the idea that we treat each other with respect. We observe boundaries. Um, we're kind to each other. We don't say mean things. We work it out if we're upset with, I mean, we don't get that training if, if you're in another kind of family. Right. Which I think is so relevant to a lot of the emotions that women well, anybody, but since this is mostly focused on women, anyone who has been betrayed by somebody who is, was raised in an environment like that, oftentimes the rhetoric is he or she didn't love me. They didn't love me. They're doing this to me. They didn't love me. And it's also interesting to realize in that person's world, love doesn't look like love looks in your world. And somebody can quote unquote, love you, but they don't understand intimacy because they were raised in a house with immature leaders because they don't know what that means. And, and I just think that's an additional layer. Relationships are complex and that's just an additional layer of understanding. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. When, when those, um, when those relationships are, you know, maybe they hit that point where there's been a betrayal. Um, and then there's a sense of absolute confusion. Like I was sure that he loved me or I was sure that, you know, she loved me. And they know, and they know that they, because they were there, they felt it. They, they experienced it. They, they know they were loved. Right. And then now they know they're being tricked. They know they're being betrayed. And it's like, how in the world does that go together? It's so confusing. You know, I mean, people spend so much energy trying to figure out how this could be. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that is a hallmark of emotional immaturity um, is that very contradictoriness in the personality. Because if you're a fairly mature person, in your self-development, you will have integrated all these different parts of yourself into something that kind of is where the right hand knows what the left hand is doing. I mean, all your internal aspects of your personality talk to each other. You know, if, if I'm going to, um, you know, maybe be attracted to this other person and I'm in a committed relationship, well, that attraction that I feel is going to pull on a string that's attached to my committed relationship. Hmm. This is if I'm mature, right? Right. Everything's connected inside and it pulls on it. And I'm like, Hmm, I, I don't, boy, that would be, you know, and then this would happen. And, you know, I, I don't think I'm even going to go talk to that person (laughs) because you, you have a sense of everything is embedded in everything else and things have consequences. And if you're mature, you use a, a coping mechanism that we call anticipation, which is, I can imagine what's going, what it's going to feel like in the future if I do this. Yes. Right. right? And yes. that keeps us out of a lot of trouble. Um, but if you're emotionally immature, the aspects of your personality stay in a sort of a um, different parts that are not, they don't have those strings pulling on each other. Okay. So I can go to the party and see that attractive person and follow them. Okay. And never really think, except maybe I take care not to get caught, but never really think about what's that going to do to my relationship over here in my committed relationship. And what's it going to be like for me too? to be lying all the time and looking over my shoulder and hiding my phone. um, They don't think about that. No, because the present moment is not linked up to the rest of their life, rest of their emotional life. Does that mean that they don't love their person in their committed relationship? No, they, they probably do. There are probably some problems going on, right now. But it doesn't invalid, excuse me, it doesn't invalidate the the relationship's reality. But it's like you have a relationship with a limited piece of the person. Yes. 
Okay, and that may be genuine, but because of their immaturity, these different impulses and these different parts of the personality almost take on their own lives. I mean, there's, you know, they are still responsible for everything they do, but it, it, it helps people sometimes to understand that <clears throat> you, can, you can have uh, a relationship with somebody and then they can turn around and do some amazing things. And it doesn't mean that they didn't love you or that you were so crazy you thought they loved you, you know, because it comes back to your own, you start to worry about your own judgment. Yes, right? your sanity, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, because we assume that everybody is all knit together and everybody is emotionally mature and they're developmentally sound, but yes. that's not true. No. Yeah. And I guess that's where the next places I want to go. It's because I like having the cognitive understanding. Okay. This makes sense. Developmentally here we are, but then that begs the question. So what do we do with that? Because knowing it is very helpful and it helps us affirm. I am healthy, whole, and complete. I am mature. I understand that this person isn't evil or horrible. They're just maybe very emotionally immature and they still hurt me. And now what? Because with a child, you wait for the development. You can do things that can kind of spur that along because you are responsible. But when it comes to a partner or even a parent relationship, waiting isn't an option. Neither is throwing ourselves in and helping them with their development. So what is our healthy response? How do we manage an emotionally immature person? Are you talking about in a relationship, say, um, with a committed partner? Uh, how do you go forward in, like, in the context of there's been a betrayal or... Are you talking about with parents? What what do you... You know, uh, let's go with the committed partner and betrayal. I mean, I think it's interesting in all different situations, but yeah, we'll say for a betrayal, say you've been, you know, in my circumstance, I was married to an emotionally immature man who was raised by two emotionally immature parents. A lot, through a lot of work, he has developed a lot of that maturity now on his own. But there's a lot of people similarly situated to me that kind of go, okay, well, great, knowing it doesn't help. And I don't want to waste any more years of my life on this person, not knowing if they're going to develop or not. And how do I protect me and move forward healthily and maybe continue to co-parent or continue the relationship? Where, Where do I healthily start managing that? Yeah, well, if, if you are with an emotionally immature person, you're probably managing a lot anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, because you'll be called on to, uh, to do that. Um, I think one of the things that is really important to assess is whether or not that partner's behavior is coming from a fundamental, 
and deep emotional immaturity, in which case, um, yeah, they, there's, there's usually a lot of, uh, a lot of denial and projection of blame and, uh, you know, uh, not taking any responsibility for it, not wanting to talk about it, wanting you to be over it, wanting to know why you can't, you know, move on, that kind of thing. If a person is very emotionally immature, you might not have any way to work it out with that person other than doing what they want to do, which is you get over it and things go back to normal. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're shaking your head and that's, um, that's the way we all feel. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I think that there are situations where people have grown up in cultures or in family situations where all kinds of bad behavior was kind of the norm, you know, and they really, they really just model themselves after these bad examples. They may be more emotionally mature than those bad examples. Like a man may be more emotionally mature than his father, say, Uh, but somewhere along the line, he got the idea that, you know, being, being a big man means that you have multiple women you know, even if you're married. Okay. And yet when he actually sees the damage that he's done to his partner and he's really faced with losing her and all of a sudden this thing that was supposed to be so fun and, and, you know, kind of uh, macho and he man, suddenly he sees it for what it is that he has really caused harm and he's about to lose the life uh, you know, that he may have worked hard to get. And then, you know, he may do some self-reflection. He may ask himself, what am I doing? What am I trying to prove? He might feel some empathy for his partner. Like, you know, I had no idea this would devastate her like that. And so when you have some basic empathy and self-reflection, and some ability to put yourself in the shoes of other people. Mm-hmm. Even when there are betrayals for you know, some of these other reasons, like I just mentioned, with that kind of person, that person has potential to grow into the committed relationship and to find other ways of communicating their um, dissatisfactions or what what they want more of or less of in their relationship as opposed to maybe acting it out by finding another person they have the potential for growth and usually usually people kind of can tell if their partner has their heart in the right place or if they're really sorry you know another cue is are they apologizing uh, do they take their licks, you know, when mm-hmm. you can't get over it in two days? Do they understand when you keep returning to it and asking questions and asking more questions? Do they grant you through their empathy that kind of um, comforting, you know, that comes from answers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then there are other people who, uh, you know, act like you've got a problem because you're still mad at them or because you got so upset. So I, I just wanna say, say that because I think sometimes people act in immature ways. 
I mean, I hope nobody ever judges me by how I was when I was in my twenties. Oh, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, We act in immature ways, but in terms of our self-development and our potential for good relationships, we really might have the basics, um, but take a long time to grow up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate what you said around that too, that we might not be able to work it out because sometimes people think if I do a better job, I can change somebody else. And the truth is we can't. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, anytime I have a client and, you know, I ask them what they want to, you know, do in in the therapy or in the coaching and they say, I want to get my husband to, or I want my mother to, um, yeah, we know that we've got to re- recalibrate um, and go after something that you do have control over because you certainly don't have control over these other people. No, no. Now that kind of leads into another part of your work that I really appreciate. And that's that whole self-worth and knowing who you are and figuring that out. And as simple as it sounds, that's a very difficult thing for a lot of people to do. Can you say more about self-worth and identity and the value of truly knowing yourself? Yeah. Well, when you know yourself, um, you have such an internal um, touchstone of security and of calm because you have a relationship with yourself on the inside. That is often very hard uh, for the children of emotionally immature parents to develop that very deep um, self-knowledge and self-acceptance. Because if you grow up with emotionally immature parents, the parents relate to the child as if they are guests in the parent's life. they don't relate to them as full-fledged human beings. Um, So lots of times these parents um, don't respect the preferences of the children. Um, They can't relate to them in an emotionally intimate way. And so the child feels very lonely and then the child feels very strange about themselves for feeling so lonely because they say, gee, I'm in this family. Everybody else seems to be okay. What's wrong with me that I feel like something's missing or I feel alone a lot. And so it's, it's a, um, it's a hard thing for, for those adult children to, go out into the world and find an equal, uh, supportive, um, mutually reciprocal relationship after they've been trained really to be subordinate to other people through these kinds of parents. Because emotionally mature parents are very, they tend to be very dominating. Um, They, have a lot of control. Uh, they like control. They're very rigid. They're very judgy. Um, and they really don't allow other people to have their own opinions or their own points of view because 
they think that everybody should be like them. Everybody shouldn't mirror them. So it's, it's hard to have self-worth when somebody won't talk to you about your deeper feelings or who has ridicule or contempt for some of your most innermost experiences, um, who tells you, um, don't be such a baby or don't cry about everything, or you're too sensitive, Mm -hmm. um, or, um, you got to get over that. It, it, it teaches them that the, the most essential parts of themselves, their feelings, their thoughts, that there's something wrong with that, that this feeling is not normal. This thought is not good. Um, you know, or, or <laughs> lots of times parents will say, what's the matter with you? What's wrong with you? <laughs> if they don't like your behavior. I mean, we all have learned that one, but Right. But it's really a statement of the um, uh, emotionally immature viewpoint, which is if you're doing something that I don't like or that's different from me, something is wrong with you. Yeah. And that's what these children take in to their self-concept. And that's why later on um, they tend to instinctively kind of hide their deepest self from their their adult relationships so they often have a sense of you know the imposter syndrome or you know if people really knew um, that I'm not as happy as I appear if people really knew that um, I'm not as nice as I act you know that kind of thing because they have been trained to hide that growing up to make sure that that parent feels good or that parent stays uh, calm or under control. Right. So it's, it's, hard, it's hard for them. And part of what we do in therapy is um, we spend a lot of time investigating that inner world uh, of thoughts and feelings so that the person gets to know themselves. Because, I mean, all of that indoctrination trains you to be afraid of yourself. Yeah, you're afraid of anything to find out, you know, (laughs) like, like nobody, nobody liked it when I showed it last time. So, uh, you know, I don't think I'll bring that out again, but it's, if it's in there, it's an important part and the ability to own that and accept that about yourself is tremendously empowering. And when you really know yourself, you've got a firm foundation for self-worth because you 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 have a sense of yourself as a person you know yourself yeah and that's and that's a, a big part of the process in psychotherapy is um getting to know yourself and honoring that when you're in relationships with these kinds of people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you had said something uh in regards to the emotionally immature person that one of the characteristics of somebody who is emotionally immature was the way they would, you know, project. And it feels like being an emotionally immature person and not knowing yourself have a lot of the same similarities and characteristics. Can you be emotionally immature and still know yourself? Are those mutually exclusive or are those just layers and different facets of it? I think it's really hard to truly know yourself if you're genuinely emotionally immature. 
Yeah. Um, I think they think they know themselves, <laughs> you know, because they have like very rigid um, uh, aspects to their self-image, like I'm the person who, you know, or I'm not the kind of guy who, you know, and, and they have these kind of these role uh, assumptions about themselves that they're very, you know, very happy to tell you about, or, um, you know, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I'm a teacher, I'm, a, you know, as long as right. it's role based, um, they think of themselves in that way. But when it comes to like knowing the inner world of themselves, no, um, they need to stay away from that because usually there's quite a bit of um, unknown uh, trauma or sometimes it's, it's known, they'll tell you what went wrong. Um, and, and that is very much going on underneath the surface. So I would say, yeah, they, they're convinced that they do know themselves very well, but if you listen to them, they're telling you what their roles have been as opposed to um, more about who they are on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So going back to that original question that you were curious about, why is it that the healthy people are the ones seeking therapy and the people who really need to be in therapy aren't there? Say more yeah. about that because <laughs> that's well, fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, well, therapy as a process doesn't really work very well um, with emotionally immature people. Because ideally, when someone comes to therapy, you want them, well, it's necessary for them to have a little bit of self-observing ability for them to say, something's wrong in my life and I, I need to figure this out. Uh, that's taking responsibility it's being willing to face what might be going on, even if I don't like it. Um, so for an emotionally immature person to come to therapy, lots of times it ends up being because they were court ordered or because their loved one threatened to divorce them um, or uh, their lawyer told them it would look good <laughs> because they really do tend to project blame and see things as everybody else's fault. And nobody's giving them a break. Uh, lots of times they um, see themselves as the victim. Yeah. Or they see themselves as the, you know, the tough guy, the, the aggressor type. But they tend not to see themselves as someone who's going to reflect on their own behavior and want to change it. Um, it, yeah. So, so for them to come into therapy, uh, it's almost like their personality doesn't fit the method very well. Mm. Um, and sometimes it takes a, uh, hitting rock bottom or being um, restrained in the sense of their acting out is, is stopped. Um, you know, like in, they're in residential treatment or they're in prison um, or they're ordered to, to go to AA and they end up in an environment that is oriented around you taking responsibility for your behavior or you um, assessing uh, your life 
um, or you, um, you know, making movements toward growth. If, if they end up in a place that kind of gives them a, a containment and in that there are opportunities for growth, that seems to work in some cases, okay? But in terms of the person who's out there uh, just reacting uh, with whatever it is that they're feeling or doing, then they probably aren't going to feel the need for therapy. But the people around them may be suffering and, and they might feel the need for therapy. Mm-hmm. And then in that case, it seems like that therapy would probably be more centered on building up your own self-worth so you can make better decisions and create better boundaries you know, irrespective of the people who are around you and making, maybe making some hard decisions if you need to. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times it's, it's interesting how uh, people will come to therapy after they have, um, you know, maybe they're in uh, their first marriage and they have grown and their mate has not. Um, that's a very common scenario. And what's happened is that, yeah, their, their basic um, emotional maturity is emerging and the other person is pretty much staying where they were. And then there's, there's like a, a, a really basic incompatibility that way. Now, I have had cases, too, where the couple, um, you know, married young, they've been together for a long time. And uh, in these cases, these were women and they didn't want to leave their husbands. They didn't want to break up their families. The husband didn't want to go to therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, So there we are. But they would they found ways to work actively with that person so that they could be themselves, you know, and and set boundaries and um, be clear about what they wanted and maintain the relationship with the guy. Um, I've seen people do that. It's pretty amazing that they sort of take on the role of the relationship leader and they're willing to teach they're willing to keep after the person in terms of what uh what they need to do to um really uh be a good partner and of course you know the the person has to be there has to be some willingness there yeah 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 absolutely that's definitely a, a partnership thing where everybody is maybe not completely consciously aware of the role but at least somewhat aware of the role and what's going on and willing to let that evolve. Yeah. And then I think to wrap it up, I'd really like to lean into what we can do, what listeners can do, what any of us can do to take care of ourselves moving forward, realizing that sometimes our parent is emotionally immature, that we were raised in a way that was less than ideal, that perhaps a partner or a boss or somebody else in our life that is significant is emotionally immature and how we can manage that, heal ourselves and do the best that we can moving forward. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, my, my new book that just came out in September is called Self-Care for Emotionally, for Adult Children of Emotionally Mature Parents. So yes. yeah, that, that self-care thing is very, very important and near and dear to my heart. Um, but it's all about your own self-development and you getting closer to yourself and you <clears throat> accepting the idea that you are just as important as that emotionally immature family member. Like I tell people that if they, let's say go home for the holidays, that's coming up here in mm -hmm. a week, they go home for the holidays and they manage to stay connected to themselves in the presence of a, uh, maybe it's a dominating uh, parent, maybe it's a, uh, a ridiculing parent, a rejecting parent, an overly emotional parent, a perfectionistic parent. If they manage to stay connected to themselves and centered in their own self-awareness during an interaction with a family member like that, they get an A plus wow. from me. Because what happens with emotionally immature people is that they pull you off of yourself. You get so wrapped up in how they're reacting and um, what their needs are and whether or not they're feeling this way or that. You get so fixated on them that you absolutely lose track of what is going on inside you. Yes. You yourself. Okay. And so when we are spending time with uh, people, uh, family members or mates or friends or whoever it is that may be emotionally immature, we always have to remember that staying in touch with ourselves is the is job number one. So we don't get hypnotized into being who they need us to be. Yes. Very, very common. It's, it's a, a deep part of the dynamic with those people. Yeah. So that's, that's the, the number one thing. The, the second thing is that you realize what the other person is doing. Like instead of feeling small, when you're being ridiculed, you become aware that, oh, I'm being emotionally coerced by shaming. They're trying to get me in a certain place or a certain state. Um, I know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I don't have to go there or I'm not going there. Um, this person is making me feel afraid right now. Yes, I'm afraid, but I also see what you're doing. Right. Yeah. I can be afraid now, but I'm going to make my own decision about whatever it is. So that ability to see what's going on, to be observational enough that you can uh, look at and name these emotionally immature behaviors, I think is, is tremendously helpful. And then you have to um, be willing to, at some point, 
become active enough to where you tell them what you want to do or don't want to do, what your preferences are. You don't have to have deep discussions in which you tell them everything that you think and feel. I mean, for one thing, they're so phobic about emotionally intimate <laughs> topics, you won't get very far. Right. Um, but it's, it's not about you trying to get yourself heard by them or trying to have them know you better. Because lots of times that's just not something that they can do or that they're interested in doing. No. But if it's something that you, you have an outcome that you want, like, um, I don't want to come home for Thanksgiving, or uh, I don't want you to do this with the children, or when you do this, that's not okay. I mean, there are all kinds of um, things that can come up when you're doing family gatherings. Right. And if you let them know in whatever scared, awkward, quiet, uh, <laughs> timid way you, you can, that you want this or you prefer it to be done this way and you ask for it, that is such a success. Um, and that's why I said you're going to get an A plus from me because I know how hard that is to do. And when you can um, speak up like that, it's, it's, it takes a lot of strength. Yeah. And you ought to be proud of yourself for that. And like I say, you don't get any points on style. Uh, right. We have the same in the United States where, you know, everybody's supposed to be like aggressively assertive and, you know, like do it in this really uh, strong way. Not all of us can do that. No. You know, most of us have trouble doing that. It's, we're not on TV. We're not in a show. We're in real life with a parent we're scared of. And so we have to give ourselves the right to do it in whatever scared or awkward way um, that we can. The secret is in knowing the outcome that you want. You go into the interaction knowing I want dad to, uh, you know, stop swearing around the kids. I want mom to not pressure me about getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, whatever it is. And that's your goal. And then as you are telling them that you have to be prepared that you may have to repeat this a lot because repetition with emotionally immature people is like the thing that has the best chance of working because they ah. really don't have a defense for it. Um, they're used to getting their way, you know, by blowing up or guilting you or shaming you. I mean, they're just used to people caving. Right. right? So your strategy is to go in there to not expect a whole lot of yourself, but to keep working toward the outcome you want and to keep repeating it until you get some agreement that, you know, that's what they're going to do or not going to do. And also you go into it knowing what you're going to do if they don't go along with what you want. Yes. You have to know that up front um, because that's, that's you keeping yourself in mind 
throughout the whole thing and not getting pulled off of your mission by the things that they do that make you feel uh, you know, bad enough about yourself that you start backing up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is invaluable. What are the books that you've written and where can listeners get a hold of these books? Because especially with the holidays coming, I agree that self-care book is invaluable. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, it's a great gift book, I think, because it's, um, it's a, uh, sort of a, a compilation of these little insight pieces that they're only two, two to three pages long, but there, there are articles that I have written over the years about, um, relationships, um, taking care of yourself, um, learning to deal with adversity, these things that lots of times, um, these kinds of insights aren't things that people get from their emotionally immature parents. So the purpose of the book is to be uplifting and strengthening and to give you ideas for how to approach things with an attitude that comes from uh, self-care and self-worth. That's sort of the the idea behind it. And they're, it's sort of like, you know, like it's perfect bedtime reading or it's like eating popcorn. They're little short things that you can, you know, get a little um, insight or good feeling from and then pick it up another time. So that, that's what I like about that one. But the other books, um, the ones on emotional immaturity, the first one uh, is uh, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. And then the follow-up to that is recovering from emotionally Mm -hmm. immature parents. And before that, the book that uh, started all of it off back in 2000 was uh, a book called Who You Were Meant to Be, which is how to regain yourself after loyalties um, have pulled you away from who you were meant to be. And all of those are available on Amazon. Um, and can be ordered through um, any bookstore. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your insight, for your wisdom, and also for just some of the practical tips that you have given listeners on what they can do to maintain their integrity, to stay connected to themselves, even in the most difficult times. Yes, I love that. I love the the way that you just paired integrity with staying connected to yourself, because isn't that the meaning of the word? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. So much. So listeners check out whichever book resonates the most strongly with you right now. And I pretty much guarantee that after you've read one, you will want to read them all. Have an amazing week. And as usual, always remember to flaunt exactly who you are because who you are is always more than enough. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal with radio host and live choreographer Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Develop naked self-worth and reclaim your confidence, enthusiasm, and joy so you can create a life you love and embrace who you are today. 
Download your free Sparkle Through Betrayal Recovery Guide at NakedSelfWorth.com. 